What's up, folks? On today's podcast, we are going to be doing a coaching call where we go over the beginner questions on transitioning. Maybe you've owned some rental properties and you may be thinking you're going to 1031 into a syndication or to a bigger deal. Guess what? As far as I'm concerned, 1031s make absolutely no sense unless you're going to 1031 like something bigger than a two or three million dollar capital gain and depreciation recapture. So what we're going to be going into in detail today on this call is how do you use the passive losses or how do you go into deals to get enough passive losses to totally offset the capital gain and depreciation recapture on everything that you're selling previously. Just experience sharing here in 2015, when I realized the old turnkey rentals wasn't all what it was said it was going to be. And yeah, back then the pricing on that stuff was a lot better than it is today. I saw the light and I sold pretty much all my turnkey rental rentals in 2015. I think I sold six or seven out of the 11 of them that year. And I had a big capital gain and depreciation recapture about $250,000. But since I was investing in syndication deals prior, I had a lot of suspended passive losses built up. And I believe the form is the 8285 form. All you guys should have that. Take a look at there and see how much suspended passive losses you have. Great advice for you to do every single year. And also, I just uploaded in the syndication e-course a video where I go through my K1 tracker on how do I keep track of my suspended passive losses in this year and then go look at my 8582 form for previous years. But anyway, um, hope you guys enjoy the show. Make sure you sign up for the club at simplepassivecashflow.com slash club. We just recorded the quarterly kimono report and we're going to be releasing that to you folks. The part one and part two. Part two goes out to the investors in actual deals. We go over all the deals that we're in, in a very transparent form, right? There's a lot of people out there that say they're in a lot of deals, but they never really, you never really hear about this stuff, nor can you really interact with other investors within the group to figure out if it's all true or not. And this is what's hard about being a private investor in these private syndications. It's really hard to do your own due diligence, which is why I have always said the the only way to really do this and make sure you don't step on any landmines, and I've stepped on the landmines myself, working with dishonest people and people who just are faking it till they make it. The only way to really figure out who's legit in this business is to surround yourself with other purely passive accredited investors, not these fake it to make it general partner wannabe groups, but real accredited investor, purely passive groups. And I truly believe that our group is the really the only one out there with kind of that already have the infrastructure in place. Our family office group, we've started it, I believe, around 2018 and really got it going 2019 and into the pandemic. I think we're well over 100 members in that group right now. If you guys want to get more information about that, just come in and join the group at simplepasticastle.com slash club. That form will take you maybe about a minute or two, but then we'll set up that onboarding call with myself to get to know each other. That gives me the opportunity to see what you've got going on and maybe do a little bit call like how we're going to be showing today on today's podcast. But anyway, enjoy the show. This is a story about a dude named Lane. He moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay. And then one day he went and tried to rent them out. And then he became one real investor man. All right, folks. Well, we're probably going to add this to the e-course at some point, but we have, we'll just call them Bob and Amy, if I can remember that name right. Their names, real names will remain private. 
but Bob and Amy um, have been investing uh, a little bit and have some great questions. And I think these questions are going to be very indicative of somebody who's been through a lot of the initial education. So I'm very excited about this, what we're going to be talking about today. Hey guys, let's get this kicked off. Let's have a good conversation here. Hopefully other people can learn something. Where do you want to start? You bring the questions. I got to, I'll try and break down some answers. Okay. We're in our later career years, put it that way. Yeah. And we've been doing buy and hold and we've been doing deeds and we've done some hard money loans and and we finally got into one of your syndications. So we've, we're actually uh, getting into that now also, but we're trying to get out of our nine to five, but it's never nine to five anymore. It's more like six to four jobs. And so we're looking more at investing for more like replacing that income. Yeah. So where approximately is your guys adjusted gross income? And let me, let me pause this. So yeah, just before I move on, just real quickly, a lot of it just breaks down the numbers. Where is your adjusted gross income at today? And what is your net worth? Approximate, yeah. Let's see, what is our adjusted growth? Uh, it's like, uh, what, 170? Like about 170. Okay. And um, approximate net worth? Um, approximate net worth is, what, about five? Two? Two something? Let's go into probably about, what, somewhere between two and a half and three million. Okay. So... From an adjusted gross income side, just before we move on, you guys are not in the highest tax bracket. You're not above the, below this red line of 340000 like some of the investors. Therefore, a lot of the cost segregation, bonus depreciation stuff really doesn't really pertain to you guys too much, unless you guys are selling other assets. If that's the case, we can talk about that later on. But, but yeah, so I know you got some syndication related questions. So let's start going down the list. Yeah, so we're, I know your specialty is syndications. And so we're looking for some information possibly on what type of syndication would be best for someone at the stage of retiring and uh, getting out of their normal career job into more just doing investing. Yeah, at this, you can syndicate anything, right? You can syndicate a pizza franchise, a burger joint, uh, real estate. Real estate, you can develop properties. You can buy, buy and hope and pray property. You can do value add. You can do different degrees of value add, right? So you can syndicate whatever you want. I think the essence of your question is what type of risk reward profile are you, are, it makes more sense for you guys is the question. My mission at SimplePassiveCashflow.com is to help hardworking individuals like you do what I did, which was leave a professional career behind by building an investment portfolio where the passive income exceeded my daily expenses. It frustrates me that there are so many people out there mindlessly investing in Roth, IRA, 401k, mutual funds, or worse, going through a useless financial planner who is just selling retail and financial products. Here's the problem. There are multiple middlemen taking a cut of your returns, all the while you take all the risk. In our community, we spend a little bit of effort to educate ourselves and build organic relationships with other past investors to source the best off-market opportunities, all while enjoying higher returns and better security because the asset that you purchased is a real hard asset, not some kind of fake stuff like a crypto or altcoin. The trifecta is simple. Number one, syndications to get number two, passive losses to unlock other tax best practices. And thirdly, infinite banking. 
Join our network for more insider access and educational material at simplepassivecashflow.com slash club. And also sign up for a free strategy call once you're in there. Enter our ecosystem. So if you did come out to Hawaii on our annual investor retreat, you'd be able to develop those relationships with the right people. To check out future events, go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash events. And we'll see you in person. And yeah. the way I look at your guys' profile, two to three million can mean a different things to different people, right? If you guys were in your 40s or 50s, two to three million dollars isn't too much money and you still have to grow your, your net worth. But it sounds very morbid, but if you guys were in the late later stages of life, two to three million dollars is perfectly fine and you're already in endgame already. So I mean, approximately where, where are you guys at age-wise, would you say? We're not quite 60 yet. So plenty of years ahead. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So for the most part, you guys still have to grow your network because 2 to $3 million isn't much these days, right? That said, you've got more than most people out there. That doesn't say much. But two to three million, two, take $2 million at 10%. What is that? 200 grand of passive income a year at 10%. That said, you would need to invest the entire $2 million, right? 10% stuff, which isn't going to be the case most times. And what it's going to come down to is, I'm sure you guys are familiar with asset allocation mix, right? The essence of your guys' question is like, what kind of reward, risk reward profile are you going for? Are you looking for something that's 10%, 12%, 15%, 20%, 25% a year? Maybe we start there, right? Like I, I think for most people, and you guys probably fit this mold, Investing in deals where it's stabilized from the get-go, where it's at least if the economy takes a tumble backwards, you at least hold on to the assets. So deals that are more what I call the chocolate type of deals, if you saw that other article that I wrote the other a few weeks ago, those are more higher risk, higher return, doubling, tripling your money in maybe two or three years. You don't really need do that at this point. And maybe if your guys was like a million to $2 million net worth or less, that would be more line up your alley. But if you could consistently grow your money at 10 to 14% conservatively, is that going to, is that sound okay to you guys? Or do you guys want to need more returns? No, that sounds good because we have been, we had several condos, and self-managing and the return they're all the condos were in hawaii so the return wasn't that great it's only five to seven percent but so part we, of that problem was like you paid it down right your equity position was large which is what this image is pretty uh, much displaying you know you, you should have re-leveraged it got that return on equity up higher but that just happens over time yeah, we've you know gone through the HELOC process and have used that for more investing using the equity on the properties. But we're now we're now going through the process of selling those off and investing in in better returns. You guys are still probably in the simple passive cash flow 2.0 stage, transitioning from the rental properties, which are high risk, high liability, big pain in the butt for paltry returns. And going to be more of a passive investor. And maybe in five years, you'll be transitioning more to this simple passive cash flow 3.0 side. Where mm-hmm. at your guys' age, if you guys were at like three and a half to five million, then I would say you were there. And then you could probably just invest in some pref equity type of positions. 
and, and be totally fine. But just to get a sense, like personal finance point of view, you guys have kids or just just you guys? Just us. And like out of the, what you, you guys, you said your AGI is about 150, 170. What, yeah, what do there. you guys save every year? I'm just trying to get a sense of your price burn rate or how much money you guys spend on fun well, stuff. Yeah, expenses wise. Like, do you guys yeah. save 50 grand a year or 80 grand a year? Or are you guys pretty cheap and able to save 100 grand every year? But we're, we're, we're pretty cheap. You yes. gotta be when you're investing as a private money lender. That sucks. <laughs> yeah, you, I guess you could say. Yeah, so 60, 70 about? Is that. Uh, Believe me, I've seen very many levels of cheapness so i'm Amy, not <laughs> Amy's looking it up but yeah i don't know if we have our i don't know if we have it written down anywhere yeah but just gut feeling like every year you uh, save more than 50 or six six is that what is that is that last year oh yeah probably around yeah probably probably right around yeah right around 50 let's say eight. that's how much we spent Oh, okay. So we're saving we're saving 120 a year. Jeez, wow! You guys are pretty cheap. <laughs> what isn't that that? That's what you got. I'm looking at. I'm checking whether the like, most of the money you guys make, you guys save, is basically what you're telling. Over half, yes. Okay, you guys are just really typical white knuckle savers. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, and in that case, have you heard me talk about this concept of Ed Gain? Like four to five million dollars net worth. I don't know if I've seen any. I talk a lot about this in the family office group that we have. We talk about this concept of getting ourselves to financial independence and then so that your money can grow and you can pass your wealth off to a couple kids who live like trust fund kids essentially and dwindle away, but long after your own death. So you guys are there in a way. You're not to four or five million dollars, but number one, you don't have kids. Number two, our group is a bunch of pretty like frugal people you guys are definitely more frugal than the average person oh yeah i don't know if that's a compliment or not but maybe it is in our group but so that when i say most people in our group are you know, making 200 300 plus a year they live in california much more higher expenses for them i say four to five million dollars net worth but for you guys it might be a tad under there so you may be on the bottom limits of this concept called Endgame. So for you guys might be to this guy wearing the green shirt, just chilling. And you might be in this position to just invest in more conservative type of deals. Right? You don't need to double your money every three to three years in development deals or riskier deals. So I would say at the most, just focus on the vanilla deals where it's stabilized cash flowing. Or maybe do some prep equity. But the tricky part is, like I'm telling you where to be centered around, but it's up to you to create your portfolio so you hit that on your weighted average, if that makes sense. Me personally, like I've got all, I've got a lot of bit different deals. This is where, in my opinion, where I want to personally be. Like I want to invest in more, more value add type of deals that are a little bit cleaner class b assets so that'd be centered around where my cursor is 
but obviously not a lot of deals are in that, right? They're all over here on the outside of that bullseye target, but the weighted averages there is the point I'm trying to make. For you guys, you might want to have in the same mindset as me, like same B-class, like definitely not C-class assets because they're just a headache. Although you're just passive investors, you don't have to deal with that. But they're still from a passive investor perspective, cash flow is more sporadic in class C properties because tenants, they just don't pay with a higher frequency. Go figure. But yeah. maybe you guys might, well, I'm more over here. Maybe we see the same way, right? We want better, cleaner assets, 1970s and 1980s, which is right here where our, my cursor is moving back and forth. Mm-hmm. but maybe where I'm up here and I'm wanting to grow my money at this stage in my life, you guys might be a shy under here. So maybe more what we call it yield type of deals, or it could be you just invest in here, but you do some pref equity down here and the weighted average is right here. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, does that kind of solve that? Does that give you some food for thought or other? Oh Yeah. There. kind of com- confirmation yeah yeah you guys don't you guys aren't really like this but like some of my investors they're like all right i need b class to b plus class assets and that are a little bit at more than value add or light value add and they get very precise with this and just know that nothing will ever just hit your box you got to expand the strike zone and you have to invest, especially if you have lazy debt equity. And so that means equity in your home that should be put to work, equity in your rental properties. I know you guys have that there, or equity in if you have stocks, mutual funds, that type of stuff with bonds. I don't know why you would want to hold bonds at this day and age. That's the biggest thing, right? I think that's the biggest problem that most people have is they think that this is their strike zone. And they're very patient looking for what's there, but they got a million dollars not to be jack for them. And that's where the low paying fruit for them is. So that's where we, we come up with this deployment plan where we put the years up on the top and we hear like the four sources of money for you guys are saving. Let's just say you're saving $50,000 a year, right? This is what your money is coming through. And maybe you quit. 2025 is what this is saying. And then cash, you may not have too much cash, but you want to deploy that at some point. And then you, the other two sources of capital is your home equity, which you can tap via HELOC, refinance, or selling the assets, which is I would suggest with the big Hawaii properties, with it just being generally bad rental properties in blue states where you have bad landlord laws and it's more of an appreciation play which doesn't help you in this stage of your guy's life or qualified retirement plan money, which is in your retirement, um, self-directed IRAs, 401ks, et cetera. So you start to build this plan where you draw it out and you're taking money out. Not so that your AGI blows up by taking out the, the IRA money out prematurely, but leaking it out slowly is the general idea. But this is the name of the game. You got to deploy it because I've had investors in the past Say I'm in a dozen deals, but it's still a while to be to financial freedom. And I'm like, yeah, a dozen deals at fifty thousand dollars is just like half a million dollars. Half a million dollars deployed isn't going to get you anywhere. 
is, you know, especially from a cash flow standpoint, you can do right. the math on that. Five, eight percent on five hundred grand is nothing. What do you got? What do you got there? You got questions? Oh, so we've got a bit in the self-directed IRAs and the four hundred one k's. We've got some money in there, and I I know you've gone over starting to pull money out of there, but we're at the fifty nine and a half, so we can start pulling money out. Yeah, let's kind of talk about this because like. How much money would you say you had in the home equity out of your, let's just call it $3 million net worth. How much is like as home equity in your rentals and your primary residence? 625. Okay. And then your retirement funds, how much would you say? Three to 400,000. Okay. Perfect. (laughs) You're just like the last guy. And it's more than one. We've got a couple of them. Yeah. But you're not working at those companies anymore. So it's fair game to take them out. One of them, yeah, I've got an ESOP that okay. I'm still working. So that's still growing. Okay. But yeah, the result of you taking money out of your IRA, you're at, you're at, I think you're at that age where you're not going to get the penalty, which is fine, which isn't much anyway, 10%. Who really cares about that? The biggest thing is to, when you take the money out, your AGI will go up. And that may push you into from the 22% into the 24 or what we don't want to happen is to go over the 32%. So let's just say your AGI is 150. If you take out a hundred grand, it'll push you to 250, which is still cool. It's no big deal. It's still 24%. But if we push you to take, if you take out an additional hundred, which is 200,000 a year, go from 150 to 340. Now it's starting to hurt a little bit more. Yeah, and This is subjective, right? For most of our clients are in your guy's situation of that AGI between 150 to 350. So that's a general um, thought. Of course, this is personal finance, right? This is you guys need to understand how this works and make the best decision and surround yourself with other like-minded individuals who kind of understand this stuff too to ultimately get the best decision for you guys. But Let's just let's just uh, let's just go with this, right, and see where it takes us. So, if we take out a hundred, what do I say, hundred? Say we go one hundred fifty in the first year. That'll take you're still under that three forty line, and then maybe you do a hundred fifty, a hundred fifty, or maybe you just play it out like this. Mm-hmm. I would rather see you take the money out of your home equity first, quicker, because to me, this is the money not doing. Is the most laziest. So basically, if you've heard the analogy of the wartime general, the, all these dollars right here, you have, or think of them like soldiers. You're trying to fight the war. You got 600 of them right here. These guys aren't doing jack for you. Neither are these guys much, but at least they're like sharpening pencils or cleaning their guns or doing something. We know we got to get them out doing something. They don't need to be doing kamikaze runs or shooting on the front lines because you guys are already at endgame, like we said. But we got to get them out doing something, at least harvesting passive losses for you. But let's just not do this out of haste and do it too quickly where your AGI goes up. But I guess just to throw something out there, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on this. What I would do is I would go heavy on the HELOC first. And I'm just going to do some kind of cascading numbers here to get to your 600 but 
the reason why I'm leaving this at 150, 100, 100, 100, or really maybe it should be 150, 150, 150 to get it all out in a few years. Uh, I'm just trying to stay under that 340 AGI just so that when you play around with these numbers yourself, you know why I'm doing it. But then, the, but this is to me is the, the biggest thing here. Yeah, we try to use our HELOC for investments. That's what we do now. We've got some hard money loans at 12%. Yeah, so the hard money loans, I would be very cautious of those. Number one, that is ordinary income. You do not want that. And number two, you don't get passive losses from private money lending. And number three, be very careful who you lend money to because there are a lot of people out there that act as marketers to, and they run these like lending platforms where they act as a conduit to put your money with lower grade operators. People that really should be charging, you should be getting for the level of their expertise or track record, you really should be getting 15 to 20% return on your money. But the middleman who is marketing you that loan is taking the delta. That's very common, but I think just for the sheer ability of getting passive losses and it being not being ordered in income is why you're trying to get away from the private money. Plus, all your money is tied up in one deal too. But yeah, as you phase out of that, the idea is you've got to sell the rent properties because most of your stuff is in a low-cap area, right? Yeah. No mainland rentals. No, we have a property on the mainland, but then we Airbnb it. Yeah, that'd be the last one I sell. Making yeah, that money, one, right? That one's been handed down in the family. That one won't be going anywhere. Oh, why you say that? Emotional attachment. Amy's dad built it. Doesn't want to sell it. Can No. Yeah, think about it. <laughs> when people start to sue you because they trip and fall, maybe uh, maybe I want to reconsider that one. But hey. I'm okay with it. We can decide in 2026, but it's working and that's all I'm happy. What to me is the the biggest thing is like for hardworking folks, like you guys work hard, more importantly, especially you guys save really hard, but your money's not working for you. You're working harder than your money. Yep. So let's go over the, I mean, low hanging fruit first. So that's the home equity in the local rentals and the primary residence get a HELOC, but at some point you have to make the decision to sell those assets, unless you think that they're good investments, which if they're in a hallway, they're not good investments. They're just um, right. Uh, holding. Yeah. We've sold two of the four already. And of course they're 1031 exchanges. Oh, we don't want to do those. Yeah. We don't do any of those type of stuff. We had somebody help us out. We did some I don't know, outside the box workings with those properties. So you still own the, you used to own properties though. That's the hard part. And in the next three to five years, you'll be in the same predicament. Yeah. No, we don't. Yes. With the, the remaining amount, which was what, less than half, about, about half the value of the property was, yeah, they're in DSTs. Oh no, you did a DST and those DST guys get paid so well with all the fees with that stuff. Unless you're take, taking a capital gain of over a million or $2 million, those types of things are complete scams in my opinion. Okay. You should be able to offset those that taxable gain with passive losses. We might not be doing the... Don't be doing it again. Shoot, I did it too. I did a 1031 back in 2000. 12, I don't know, 14, I don't know. 
I got it. I've been there, done that. I made the same mistake. Just don't make the same mistake again. The analogy I use for the 1031 or DSTs is it's like a hot air balloon, right? The hot air balloon goes up. When you buy the property, it starts to go up and you can sell it and take a lot and pay your taxes and jump out of the hot air balloon. And in the beginning, the hot air balloon, let's just say it's four feet and you jump out. Ideally, you, you start to get on the passive investing bandwagon. You start to get these passive losses piling up through normal depreciation, bonus depreciation. You're going to start to accumulate excess suspended passive losses so that when your hot air balloon goes up and you jump out, you have a pillow of passive activity losses. So that, that's what happened to me back in 2017. So that's down here. I had a $200,000, $198,000 capital gain depreciation recapture. But because I was investing in syndications and private placements, which did a lot of cost segregations, I had several hundred thousand dollars of passive losses. And I strategically used 200 of it to offset that gain. And thus, um, it allowed me to not to have to do a 1031 exchange, which Again, going back to the hotter balloon, it's like the hotter balloon continues. When you go into the next property, you go into this hotter balloon, you go higher. So the next time when you have this debt equity in the asset, you want to get it out or sell the asset. Instead of four feet up in the air, now you're 20 feet up in the air. You jump out of that hotter balloon, you're going to break a leg at the very least. You might even hit your head and die. And that's essentially what the 1031 and DSTs do. They you're stuck in this hot air balloon. It makes it harder and harder for you to accumulate more and more passive activity losses so that we can have you jump out and get to more of a, a portfolio where it's all broken up into little pieces at some point than these bigger chunks. And that's what we don't want. We don't want our portfolio for any one of our, any one asset to have more than five to 10% of our net worth into one thing. That's not diversification. You've done the, t the DST. I just like how I did the 1031 exchange. The best thing you can do right now is to start keeping passive losses because you're in this hotter balloon. You should have got out when it was four feet. You're eight feet, 10 feet in the air, but there's still a chance. Bob and Amy, you, you get a bunch of passive losses. You can offset it just like how I personally did it right here when I finally got out of that. But it's one of those things like you have to get around other high net worth investors and get away from the salesmen selling these DSTs, these 1031s, right? It, it, from a high, from like a marketing perspective, the layer taxes, yeah, yeah, that that's right. But that they're just trying to sell their product and the product is not really the right tool for the job in, in most cases. The situation where a DST 1031 exchange makes sense is say like a client is selling a dentist franchise that they started for $10,000 and now they are selling it for three to $4 million. At that point, it's pretty hard to accumulate that much passive losses. So the option that a lot of high network people will do at that point is the DST or monetized installment sale, something like that, because it's just such a huge capital gain depreciative capture. But if it's less than like a quarter million, certainly even less than half a million, Sometimes even a million dollars. I've seen people get a million dollars plus of passive activity losses. I mean, it, it can't be done to get you out of that hotter balloon. But just food for thought for now. You know. Okay.
Yeah. But a lot of this is simple, but the hard thing is that there's all these kinds of products out there like DSTs, qualified retirement plans is another one I'm a huge fan of. Everyone's just trying to sell you stuff, right? Right. Think it for me. I don't give a shit what you do. Like, I just tell you what makes sense to me and what other people I've learned from do. I don't care what you do. I just don't like to see you spend $4,000 on something that only is really good for the person selling you it and not the best for your situation. But I'm not giving financial advice, of course. Not at all. (laughs) But yeah, yeah. But I think, like I said, man, like I did the same thing. So welcome to the club. I, after a while, you stop listening to these salesmen in suits. All right, what's next? What's next? You guys got a good one. Got the, uh, you hit it a little bit, tax questions though, but go ahead. Yeah, Amy's got some tax questions. But. Cool. cool. I'm not a CPA or a tax attorney, but I'm trying my yeah. best. The, their oh. job is really just to do the forms. It's yeah, I think you hit on it already with the accumulated, you know, passive losses. Yeah, go look at your, I think it's 8285 form. I think it's on the tax page, simplepassivecashflow.com slash tax. But that form will have the breakdown of how much past suspended passive losses you guys have. Because you guys have been investing for quite a while. So you should have, most cases, people have more than they think they have, put it that way. But a little trick of the trade, like CPAs normally don't like to give that to you because they want to know when you're shopping and leaving them. So most cases, you won't have that form in your documents. You certainly won't have all the back-end computer uh, calculations. It'll just be the PDF printout, which is useless. Well, uh, for for our planning purposes, it's useful. You have the numbers there. But to go elsewhere to Portable or go to a better CPA that's actually good which in our world 95 percent of my clients they typically change their cpa what do you got there as you guys have seen the syndicate or the investment side right the three steps of simple passive cash flow first step invest with honest people that aren't going to steer money or lose money right that's the simple part but that's the part that unlocks all this other stuff which is part two the taxes you can't really do this unless you have the passive activity losses to start to maybe implement real estate professional status too. So you have to go into the deals, unfortunately, which is, I think, the hardest part. Who do you trust? Because anybody can do deals these days, right? Like not most people, they if they're new, if they're under half a million dollars or half a billion dollars, $500 million of assets, right? We're well over a billion dollars at this point in 2022. But trying to find reputable operators that kind of, give your money to to be good stewards with your investment capital but then really like it's simple right from the investment side what you're looking for the, the biggest low-hanging fruit is the taxes and then the, the infinite banking too we can talk about that also but those that's like that one two three step program all this other stuff dsts qrps all these other products out there to me, are extraneous. And in certain situations, it makes sense. And that's my job is based on your guys' situation. doesn't make sense. Like, for example, I think a QRP only makes sense if you have an extremely high income, adjusted gross income of over 340, 350 plus, which you guys don't. So it doesn't make sense to use it. Okay. 
So step one, you're saying you know, deal with the honest people. So you, that's basically you're building your your team, basically. Yeah, but you've got to go about it in a little bit around the way, right? Like I think going on the internet, going through the podcast logs, finding people to work with is the wrong way to do it because you're just finding the people who are good at marketing. Yeah. This is where, you, this, this is kind of my spin on it. You have to find other colleagues and peers and credit investors around you that are already investing in this stuff and build long-time relationships. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever come out to this Opasa cash flow event, but that's the stuff you need to be doing. You need to come out, break bread with people, build organic, real relationships, because that's where you're going to find out the goods, who to invest with, who to stay away from. In the initially, but networking and social capital is really the currency of the wealthy. And like you said, you, were, you guys are already there to end game. Yeah. It's just going to be good to find people on the same trajectory as your guys selves do you have another meetup in hawaii no i would suggest joining the family office ohana it's a pay-to-play group program but it's hard in hawaii right there's barely any people and then the only meetup groups are like the free ones which are a bunch of broke guys trying to flip houses or wholesale houses or do a bunch of burr stuff which you in my opinion what you do is when your net worth is under half a million dollars but yeah, it's pay to play, man. That's what I mean. I went from 2009 to 2015 trying to do it all myself, and I never wanted to pay for anything. But then I hit the wall, and until I started to pay for masterminds and groups to get around other higher net worth investors, just look at my unit count didn't really tick up until I started to do that. And that's you can try and do it on your own, but I think in Hawaii it's possible to find other people doing this type of stuff. Because you, you can't go to Wildlife Country Club because it's just a bunch of rich trust fund kids there or high-paid executives who do things differently with their money, not investing in workforce boring investments such as we do. Okay. But, yeah, you guys are investing part of the, part of the club. Just know that the network is not included. Network is a, is a sort of separate part of the mastermind group, family office, Solana Club. Uh, com slash journey for more details. But I think that's the next step. If you're investing more than a quarter million, I think it's a no-brainer at that point. But Okay. But yeah, you guys have been progressing pretty nicely, right? I mean, that's a good question. It seems like a lot of these concepts, it's hard because like, who talks about this type of stuff, right? <laughs> Yeah, taking your 401k. Who talks about even private money lending on house flips? And we're like ten levels above that at that point. Yeah, when you talk to friends and family, and you say, "Oh yeah, I'm in a syndication," they're like, "You're in the mob." Yeah, that's what I said in 2013. I was like, "Isn't that what like Ponzi schemes come about?" Yeah, but now nowadays, that's where all my money is scattered amongst other people. Still sounds seems a little crazy to me still though, but I think that's when you find other people that kind of this is how the way they invest, and you start to realize it is a very small community of passive investors. It is a lot more comforting, but like I think the hard part where you guys are at is just need to have a handful of close compadres, organic relationships around you that also are this journey with you guys. That's the next step. Yeah. Yeah. Any other final question 
syndications, personal finance, tax, legal, and kind of banking. This is kind of your, this was your guys. Yeah. No, I, this was your guys' slide. Have you ever had to try and get a HELOC on a LLC owned property, rental prop, business? Property. It shouldn't matter. HELOCs are always difficult to get on non-owner occupied properties, regardless if it's an LLC or not. If you're working with the Hawaii banks, the Hawaii banks are very bureaucratic and not logical in anything they do because they have no competition here, so they don't have to do anything that's outside the, their little box. So that might be the reason why you're running into that problem. I would just go to mainland bank for that type of stuff. Better rates, better competition out there. Yeah. But what is this for? Hawaii rental? Uh, yeah. Yeah, just, dude, just sell it. What is the? What is it worth to? We've got two different condos yet. One, one's about two sixty-five. The other one's about four hundred. Yeah. So the you know the four hundred. What is that? Is it nineteen fifty? Yeah, dude, it's less than half a percent rent to value ratio, and you haven't even backed out the what is the HOAs on that thing? No, is it that much? Oh, it's six hundred. Yeah, so you're making like fifteen hundred on a four hundred thousand dollar property. You yeah. take that money and you buy the equivalent. You could be buying four A minus units on the mainland, each rate running for a thousand bucks. You know. But hey, it's your life. Just don't complain when you don't feel like you're at financial freedom when your money's not working for you. And that's a clear indicator that your money's not working for you. You have $400,000 that's only bringing in $1,500 of revenue. And you can yep. get it to the mainland and make $4,000. And you can also be doing value added. Yep. So. Yeah, we're getting there. Yeah, you're getting there. And, and part of this is it's a slow thing too, right? Like it takes a couple of years to get to the swing of things because it's new. Get it. But I think it sounds like you're heading the right direction. Like you're thinking about what's the next. I got my herd of cattle here, which, which is the next one I'm taking to the slaughterhouse and having your body with. You know, yeah. say, I would say that that's a $400,000 one. <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah. or you, you can look at two, two different ways. Uh, first is like which which of those remaining combos or Hawaii rentals is the most pain in the butt for you? I would probably do that more than just look at it from a pure numbers perspective. And the pure numbers perspective would be like, which one do I have the most dead equity in? Like the $400,000 one, or which one has the highest or the lowest loan to value loan revenue? Would be the numbers we're looking at it. Those are two lens you can look through to figure out what kind of ribeye you're having to that night yeah yeah they probably have hawaiian names right these condos or these cattle uh no neither one of them oh, oh. <laughs> yeah well they say never name your name your uh, farm animals, right so if you want to eat them or one of the condos we actually bought in a foreclosure yeah then you should have sold you should sell it because you have some good equity in there yeah it's just like people ask us, like, what do you guys sell these properties? What do you exit early? If we hit our business plan, we can hit more than 20% a year. and We can exit early. We're going to do that. Um, 
because some of the proper like are you guys in Terra Oaks? Maybe you guys are in that, but like Terra Oaks, we picked up at that a pretty good price. That's why that I'm here marking that one to exit. Like the same situation, you guys picked up that foreclosure at a good price. Um, for us, like we we're still going to the value add process, and mm-hmm. then when that that cow is fattened up, we're gonna take it right to with Chris. 